again, I want to invite you to turn in your Bibles to the 90th Psalm, uh, if you have a Bible. Uh, we also have it printed for your convenience in our worship guide. Uh, and if you're turning in your physical Bible, just open it up almost exactly to the middle. It's pretty close to the middle of the entire Bible is Psalm 90. And um, I'm going to read the entire chapter. Um, we didn't print this in the worship guide, but we do uh, believe that these headings are inspired. And so this is uh, a prayer of Moses and of God is the, the subtitle uh, here for Psalm 90. Would you listen ears? Would you listen now with open ears as I read these words from the book that we love? Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth, wherever you had formed the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. You return man to dust and say, return, O children of man, for a thousand years in your sight are but as yesterday when it is past, or as a watch in the night. You sweep them away as with a flood, they are like a dream, like grass that is renewed in the morning. In the morning it flourishes and is renewed. In the evening it fades and withers. For we are brought to an end by your anger. By your wrath we are dismayed. You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. For all our days pass away under your wrath. We bring our years to an end like a sigh. The years of our life are seventy or even by reason of strength, 80, yet their span is but toil and trouble. They are soon gone, and we fly away. Who considers the power of your anger and your wrath according to the fear of you? So teach us to number our days, that we may get a heart of wisdom. Return, O Lord, how long? Have pity on your servants. Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love, that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. Make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us, and for as many years as we have seen evil. Let your work be shown to your servants and your glorious power to their children. Let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us. Establish the work of our hands upon us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Father God, we come to this time and we sit under these words, Lord, and I recognize that we come from all kinds of different places. Some of us have come uh, here this morning, and uh, as this word says, we have brought last year to an end with a sigh. Uh, others of us come here this morning, and we are in a far different place. We are in a season of blessing and abundance. Lord, I recognize further that come up, some of us come here, um, and we are in the prime of our lives, and others of us come here, and our bodies are... Uh, just degrading, and we are in constant pain. Um, we are in frequent sickness. Lord, I recognize that, uh, as Ryan has brought out for others of us, uh, this is a time of deep darkness, spiritually, emotionally, and physically. And Lord, I pray that whatever place we find ourselves in here, whether we are sighing or celebrating, uh, whether we are dealing with the weight of depression, or whether we are in a season of great joy, whether we are here this morning dragging ourselves to church to find hope in you, or we are here this morning um, eager <laughs> to hear from you. I pray that you would give us grace to see that in the way that matters the most, that we all come ultimately the same, an overwhelming and an unrelenting need to hear from you, to know you, to be changed by you. Would you open our eyes this morning to see uh, what you are doing in history and also what you are doing in our lives through the person, through the power, 
through the work of Jesus Christ on our behalf, in whose name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, good morning and welcome. Uh, great to be with you. Happy New Year. Uh, it is tradition of mine to do my New Year sermon the second week of the year. Just, I wonder if anyone can guess why that is. If your answer is because I prefer to preach it to more than five people, you're right. right? I feel like it's too important of a sermon to kind of waste on January 2nd, right? Look, I'm, I'm a pragmatist in many ways, okay? I know how it goes. And uh, so, yeah, I, the second week of January, I do uh, what I like to call a New Year's sermon or a sermon that is designed to assist you in taking inventory of your life in all the ways that you need to in order to walk with Christ this year with the particular challenges that this year is going to face. And most of the time, I always preach from this verse. And so the few of you that have been here from the beginning, you have already checked out. I have a couple of new things for you. So I'd invite you to check back in. Um, those of you who are new, everything's going to be new. It's going to be great. It's one of my favorite. This is probably my um, absolute favorite Old Testament passage in all of the Bible. It's the passage that actually was the genesis of the church. Talk a little bit about that later. Um, and this morning, in this season, a particular line caught my attention that I have not given any attention to before, but I, I have sensed in my own life and in the life of uh, where we are corporately as a community and then as, as a world, uh, it is the verse of the day. And that is... Um, that is verse 15. He, the psalmist is praying at the end there, and he says, make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us. That's going to be, you're already wondering about that. We'll talk about that. But I really, really want to focus on, on the second part. He says, make us glad for as many years as we have seen evil. Right? And, it, and it stuck out to me because we've been preaching through the book of Revelation, um, and this last year and a half has been a year that has... Um, blessed me really only in the sense that I'm finally getting the salt and pepper beard that I have been jealous of Ryan Estes for a long time about. And, you know, we have uh, all kinds of troubles and trials to thank for that. That's the cost of having a great beard, apparently. Apparently, it's the adrenaline, you know, in your body that gives it the greatness. I don't know. But yeah, this is a year where my adrenal glands, this has been a season for me, a year for me, where my adrenal glands have been exercised more in the last... 18 months than they have ever been in my entire 43 years of life coming up on, right? 43 years of life, in the last 18 months, I have experienced more adrenaline than I've ever experienced in my entire life, and to a significant degree, that has been the result of seeing evil, right? We've been, you know, and this is not unique to me. I have my own story that I'll tell you sometime, but in, in our world, right, as we have seen all kinds of, of stress come upon the world as we have seen death, as we have seen division, as we have seen uh, racism and then the riots that were a, a response to that and the death and destruction and the division and the hatred and all of these things. As we have, um, m many of you know people who have been lost to COVID or have had what, what I think is the shock of COVID. But COVID is very controversial, obviously. Um, but one of the reasons it's so controversial, if you've known anyone that's passed from it, it's because it has the ability to sneak up on you, right? So as I've uh, walked with folks who, who have uh, had a really severe bout of it, what happens is they, they get diagnosed, they get you know, a positive test, and they're fine for about 10 days. 
And then right on the 10th day, it's like a switch flips and, you know, they're in the ICU. And then um, from what I've, you know, heard from, from my friends who are in that field, you know, many of them pass, right? And that's sort of like the emotional shock of it. It's different from, you know, my mom died from a degenerative disease and we had about three months of warning to prepare to grieve. You know, and this virus just doesn't work that way, you know, that's, you know, you get it, you think, oh, I'm fine, it's mild, and then bam, you know, you're intubated, and then you are taken off um, and given palliative care about 10 days after that. So this has been a season um, in various ways for my own life where I have seen evil, and as I have walked with others, I have walked with others through, I've walked with several of you, through you having to confront evil in various forms, right? And Ryan was really bringing that out really helpfully and powerfully in the liturgy this morning. So the question that I want to put before you this morning, because maybe this is not where you're at. Maybe you're like, Darren, I don't know what you got going on. Life is good. You know, this is not the sermon for me. But I will tell you, at some point in time, as I've been saying, if you live long enough, you will encounter evil in some form, right? It might be in the form of death. If you haven't grieved a loved one that you've loved intensely through death, you will experience a grief Right? And, and what is that grief? Answer, it's the product of evil. Death is the product of sin. It's the product of evil. And it, it's really cerebral at first when, you, when you're born and when you go through life and life is easy. And then, you know, for me, uh, losing my grandparents wasn't close to them. But as soon as I lost my mom, right, death took on a whole new form and power, right? It became very real, very personal. And as I was struggling with its feeling, occurred to me that what I'm doing is I'm encountering evil, right? I'm encountering the product of evil is the death that just creates an agony in the soul. Uh, The Apostle Paul calls it the sting of death. So the question I'm asking this morning, as I often say, is that I exist for your joy. My mission is to see your joy deepened in Christ. And the particular question is, how might your joy be deepened in a season where you have to encounter evil in extraordinary volumes, right? How might that happen? And one of the, the answer that I'm going to bring from, to you from this passage is that it, it can happen through you preparing to face this year using the resources of the scripture, right? And that's really what I want to do for you. I, you know, I used to kind of criticize New Year's resolutions and all that, um, but I actually don't anymore because it occurred to me that the new year, right, and, and our culture has this idea of New Year's resolutions, right, but the new year is in many ways a liturgy. Right? It's the time where you start over and you get to, you're encouraged to take inventory of the life that you've had and the life that you would like to have. Right? And I want to actually encourage you to do that, but I want to encourage you to do it a certain way, uh, using the resources of the scripture, in particular this passage. So I was doing this uh, some recently and thinking about you, and I want to just guide you through this passage with some broad strokes as to how you might go through a process of taking inventory of your life Uh, in such a way that you can be able to face whatever evil uh, is in store for you this year. So let's get into it together. Uh, The way that we take inventory, right, according to this passage, and and it can sneak up on you if you don't see the heading, right? So that's why I pointed out that there's a heading that is inspired, right, before verse 1. It says, a prayer of Moses, the man of God. The way that you will engage with taking inventory this year is actually through prayer, right? The, the way that you will actually go about resoluting and considering well what your life has been and what you would like it to be, 
the way that the place that that starts is actually in prayer. I was talking to someone recently, church member, and really struggling with some things, and said to this person, you know, do you really, what does prayer look like for you? You know, are, are you wrestling with God, or, or do you just simply, like, mention things? Right? And what, what we were discovering in this, in this conversation is that the way that we take inventory of our lives, the way that we process our lives, the way that we go through dark days, evil days, uh, when they come, is we do so from a context of a certain kind of prayer, right? And, and Moses gives us this one as a guide, right? He gives us this prayer as a guide. So that's the first thing. Like, if you don't pray, right, or you don't pray much, or you don't pray in a way that actually gets to the root of the things that you most deeply long for, my biggest hope for you this year is that perhaps you would start. And perhaps comments that I'll give on this passage would be a little bit of a guide for you. So how do we pray um, in such a way as to take inventory of our lives? The first thing that we do, and the first thing that Moses does is he reflects not on our circumstances, but he reflects upon the person and the activity and what I would call the largeness of God, right? What does he say? Verse one, Lord, you have been our dwelling place all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. And friends, I want to encourage you to use this as the first part of your prayer this, uh, this season. I want you to simply go before God and to consider who he is. One of my favorite places to do that, by the way, if you need some resources, definitely recommend this passage. The other passage that I've used in the past, it's been um, really a guide to me through seasons dating back probably about 20 years, uh, is actually the 38th chapter of Job. All right, so here's Job, who's, you know, as the outside person, you know more of the story than he knows. He's like, why is my life falling apart? Why is it so hard? What did I do wrong? All of his friends are coming around him, and they're doing the typical, like, ignorant friend thing, right? You know, we've all, like, listen, you've all been an ignorant friend at one time, I'm sure, right? I'm an expert in this, right? You know, his ignorant friends come to him. His life is completely falling apart. The reader has an insight into why that is, right? There's things going on in another realm that are prompting that. And they come to him and they just heap condemnation onto him, which by the way, is like usually a bad idea as a friend, right? If you want to be an enemy, that's fine. But if you want to be a friend and your friend is in absolute devastation, probably the worst thing to do is to come and just like pile on condemnation, Right? And that's what his friends do. It's actually fairly common, sadly. The reasons for that. They pile on condemnation, and he's defending himself against their words. He's defending himself against God. And then finally, in chapter 38 of Job, right, it gets all the way to chapter 38, God speaks directly to Job. Right? And he says, you have no idea what you're talking about. Because were you there when the mountains were brought forth? Do you observe the birth of deer? Right? He goes from this broad, broad activity to the most specific detail. I, I pay attention to every lightning bolt, he says. I have them cataloged. I, I'm involved in every bolt of lightning. I'm involved in every particle that is used to form your child. Right? Psalm uh, 103 says that right? Knit in the dust of the earth. He says, I'm, excuse me, Psalm, one, Psalm 103 says that. He says, I'm involved in all of these things, right? And, and what 
what's happening in that and the, the activity of God that's so essential for you to begin to take inventory of your life is that you need to face the fact that God is far different than you appreciate. Right? You need to God to tell you, and you know, this is the word of Christ to you today, right? The word of Christ to you from the God of Job chapter 38 is you have no idea what you're talking about. And you need to hear that if you are going to walk through evil days. You have to hear God saying, Darren, you have no idea what you're talking about. You have no idea what, the acti- what activity I'm involved with behind the scenes. Right? That's what, what God says to Job. And it's interesting because we don't have really any record that Job ever got the rest of the story. But as he heard from God those comments, what did he do? He said, I heard of you with the hearing of my ears, but now my eyes have seen you and I repent in dust and ashes. And so First thing that Moses does is he considers the person of God, right? And there's this Latin phrase, uh, "coram Deo," that we live under God's face. Uh, Paul, uh, in the in the book of Acts, he says, as he's talking to folks who don't believe in God, he says, "You know, in Him we live and we move and have our being. We live in Him. He is our dwelling place from all generations." So that's the first thing. The second thing that he does is he reflects on himself. Right, so first we reflect on God, we reflect on who he is, we use some of those resources, and then the second thing we do is we take some time and we reflect on ourselves, and there is a specific part of ourselves that this passage draws attention to that is particularly useful uh, in this time of taking inventory, right? There's all kinds of things that you could say about yourself, right? As you reflect on yourself, you could say, hmm, you know, I grew in this way this year. I, I didn't grow in this other way. Right? I would like to grow in this way. Right? You can think of all those things. But this passage actually zeroes in on a particular issue that's true for all of you, right? and some of you more than others, right? but for all of you, it is particularly true. And in verse 5 and in verse 6, he says, you need to zero in on how brief you are. Right? If you're going to contemplate God, if you're going to contemplate yourself, if you're going to contemplate this year adequately, you have to face your brevity head on, right? Head on. You've got to face your brevity head on, head on. And what does he say? Right? Verse 5, he says, we are like a dream, right? I took some weird stuff the other night, okay? And I dreamt all night, and it was all nightmares. It was awful, okay? <laughs> I took some weird stuff. I got these patches off Amazon, and I, they, I, re- I slept, like continuously, the only problem was I just had like dream after dream after dream, okay? And, you know, if you've had, you know, when you, when you have a lot of dreams, you know, what's often the case of them is that, you know, they feel long in one hand, but on the other hand, you wake up and you're like, oh, what exactly was happening? Like you can't remember, like they feel so brief, right? And what this passage is saying is saying you, to contemplate yourself correctly, you have to look at yourself, you have to look at this year and you have to say, my time is limited. I am brief. Right? Life is brief. He uses a second illustration in verse 6. He says, we are like grass that is born in the morning and withers by evening. Right? Born in the morning and withers by evening. That our lives are over quickly uh, and that we are brief. And of course that comes as he's contemplating uh, the person of God. 
right? Verse 4, he says, For as a thousand years in your sight are as but yesterday when it's past, God is the opposite of brief, right? He is eternal. He's the opposite of brief, but we are like a watch in the night. You know, one shift in the night is all we are, and then we go away. Now, the brevity of life, you can't think about the brevity of life adequately without also thinking about the source of the brevity of life, right? So, so you are brief for a reason, right? I am brief for a reason. What, what's the reason of the scripture? Of course, the Bible tells us that our brevity is inextricably connected to our sinfulness, Right? So if you're here wondering about Christian faith and wondering, like, why are all these people coming here, giving their money, singing these songs, you know, do, listening to this word? And the answer is because we all, you know, those of us who are members here at least are Christians in, in some form, we all say, you know, we are sinners, right? We, we sin all the time. Like, I sin a lot. I sin all the time, right? And, and as, I walk with, as I walk with you, you know, sometimes my, my job is to walk with you and to, like, help you appreciate that actually you sin far more than you appreciate. Right? I have to break the bad news to you sometimes. I want to do that this morning. You all sin a lot more than you appreciate. <laughs> okay? Right? And, and we can laugh at that, but on the other hand, our sin is the source of our brevity. Right? Our life is over. Why? Well, our life is quick. Why? Because, go all the way back to Genesis chapter 2, when God said to Adam, he said, in the day you eat of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, in that day in particular, you will surely die. And of course, Adam and Eve both take the fruit, they eat it, they don't have an inch, they don't drop to the ground, their hearts don't stop, they don't have a stroke, they don't, you know, anything like that. They're like, I didn't die. Right, what happens? Answer is that death becomes a part of their reality, a part of their lives. They, have, they start to have children who dies. I mean, Adam had to grieve a child in the next chapter. Um, you know, as marriage begins to have struggles, uh, their kids begin hating each other. They have all kinds of, of things happening in their lives, right? What is that? Well, that's, the, that's actually the curse. In the day you eat of it, you'll surely die. In the day you eat of it, as you become, as, as you live as a sinner, right, you will experience the reality of death until you breathe your last, Right? And so, you know, Moses gets at this idea in this passage. I think he's actually reflecting on this concept where he says, you know, our, our days pass away or we're so fast. Why? Verse 7, because, you're, because we live under your anger, right? And see, God is angry at sin, right? And, and that, you know, people are like, Darren, you're not supposed to say that, right? No one's going to want to come to church. And I'll tell you, though, right? I know that all y'all would not like to be here if God was not angry at sin, right? This is how you think about that. Oh, God is angry at sin. You know, Darren, people are going to feel guilty and uncomfortable and everything. Yes, until you realize, though, that if God's not angry at sin, he, then he doesn't care about the people that commit injustice against you, right? Someone hurts your kid. Someone messes them up for a long time, right? And God's like, I don't care. It's fine. Right? You okay with that? Someone empties your bank account through, you know, some kind of uh, scam, and, and all of your life savings are gone, and you're now destitute because someone tricked you, and God's like, yeah, it's fine. I don't care. Right? You fine with that? Right? If God is not angry at sin, then he doesn't care about injustice. Right? Then he doesn't care about the injustice that you face. 
But of course, the Bible says that God is angry at all sin. That sin is absolutely in contradiction to his will for this world. And, you know, you have to take the good with the hard, not the bad, right? The good with the hard. The good thing is, yes, when you are wronged, God cares about that. He will avenge that. He will make it right. Secondly, though, when you sin, right, when you live as a sinner, there are very real consequences for that. The biggest of which, of course, is death, right? That we live under a curse of death. And it expresses itself in two ways, right? It expresses itself, number one, in the fact that things don't work, relationships don't work, people let you down, people wrong you. And then secondly, it works its way out in the actual sentence of metabolic death that is certain for every single one of us. So that's the second thing, right? He says, if we're going to uh, if we're going to take inventory correctly, we have to start with who God is, with his, his person, his, his character, his attributes. And then secondly, we have to consider ourselves, particularly our brevity, but not just our brevity, but also the reason for our brevity, uh, our sinfulness. And then lastly, and this is where I want you to land uh, most specifically, he says there's something then to do about it, right? If, if God is eternal, if you are brief, Right? And if you are struggling with not only your own sin, but the effects of sin around you and in this world and, and in your life, he says, what are you to do about it? And friends, I put that question to you this morning. Right? I, know, I know that every single one of you deals with both of these things. Right? You deal with sins against you, deal with your own sin. What are you going to do about it this morning? What could you possibly do in 2022 to make a difference in that area? Right? I wonder how you're answering that, you know. Lots of New Year's resolutions going on, I've been told about. There's like a whole 30 group going on here. There are other groups, by the way, that are more, you know, beneath the surface. I won't let you in on, but there's a whole 30 group that's going on. They're eating a bunch of vegetables. So we're, we're excited for them. There's other kinds of resolutions going on that are a little more confidential. Um, but yeah, I wonder, what are you going to do about this reality, though? Right? What are you going to do about this reality? And what does this passage tell us to do? And the answer, actually, friends, is very simple. What this passage does is it says, you should respond to this reality. You should respond to this reflection by asking things of God. Right? What does he say? He says, he turns his prayer into a reflection on, from God, from himself, from his sinfulness. And what does he do from there? He turns it into petition. Right? Look with me if you would. I want you to see these petitions uh, closely. Look in verse 12. He says, in response to all of these things, he says, teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. Right? And that's really the first step, by the way. If you want to think about, you know, what's, what's one of the main products of actually doing this, of actually taking inventory of your life, of thinking about the things you want to change, about thinking about what you want 2022 to look like, one of the best answers to that is that I would love to see you increase in wisdom, right? I would love to increase in wisdom. That's, that's the very first prayer he prays. He says, so teach us to number our days, teach us to face the brevity of our lives with, a, with, with clear eyesight so that we can assign numbers to our days, right? What is he saying? He's saying, use the be- make the best use of the time. Paul will say it in Ephesians, he'll say, make the best use of the time for the days are evil, But he doesn't just stop there. He goes on in verse uh, 14 
to be very bold, right? Even though, even though he says, even though we are profoundly sinful, even though we live under your wrath, even though our days are brief, even though we have this curse, you know, and this is really the, the paradox of the Christian faith, by the way. You know, again, I want to talk to those of you who are here exploring Christian faith, love it that you're here, and you're wondering, okay, there's a lot of things that don't make sense to me. There's a paradox here. On one hand, he says, we live under God's anger, right? Reality that God is, God, like, again, when you're wrong, you have to think about it in that way. When you're wrong, God hates that. He will avenge that. He will take care of that. He notices that, right? Likewise, when you wrong others, same thing. Right? We live under his anger, but yet, at the same time, Moses is so bold to pray in verse 14, God, would you satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love? Why? That we can rejoice and be glad all of our days. Now, friends, you have to stare this head on because he had just said, right, we bring our years to a conclusion with a sigh, right? Uh, our days are days where we have been afflicted, and yet he says, satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love so that we can rejoice and be glad all of our days, right? And then in that next statement, he'll say, uh, make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us and for as many years as we have seen evil. And friends, this gets at, I think, the height of mystery um, in, in Christian faith. We talk about paradox. There's paradox. There's also the height of mystery, which is this. Um, one of the most significant challenges that people have in the Christian faith is the question of what is the relationship between God and evil, right? We're talk that's the topic du jour, right? Seeing evil. So many of you are probably wondering, well, okay, is God ordaining evil in response to our sin, right? Is that what's happening there? I get this question, you know, periodically. People really, for, you know, folks who have been a Christian for a short time and for a long time all have the same question. What is the relationship between God and evil? And some people would say, well, it's obvious that God's in control of all things, you know, even like the ordaining of evil because it just said, make us glad for as many days as what? You have afflicted us. That's what he says, Right? Then he says, in as many years as we have seen evil. And the church, church you know, uh, theologians over the years have wrestled with this idea. The absolute best um, is from our, our Catholic brothers and sisters, St. Augustine, right? They have some great resources there. And uh, Augustine uh, looked at this topic in great detail. On the reform side, you can read from Bob Inc., but he's basically copying Augustine. So, you know, you can, you can get the best of both worlds there. But Augustine will say... Uh, God does not ordain evil, right? And in our confession, confession of faith, Western Confession of Faith, chapter three says, God is sovereign over all things, right? He, he controls all things, but not in such a way that, that he would be the author of evil, right? The confession is very careful in this regard to say God's in control of all things, but not in such a way that he is the author of evil. And Augustine says, God is not, does not author evil, but he created us knowing that evil would rise from good, right? So God creates us very good, but he does so knowing that in the way, in the constitution that Adam and Eve were created with the ability to choose evil, he says, God did so knowing that evil would rise from good, but that that would be preferred from creating us in any other way 
right, that's part of our essence is the ability to choose evil. He says that would be better in any other way. Why? So that he could reveal his character of grace, right? So, so in the Christian faith, you have to, you have to hold both of these things in, in, in very, very carefully, right? And that God is in control of all things. And that's why Moses says, you afflicted us. God was in control, right? But God was not the author of that evil. One of the ways that, um, uh, one of the ways that you know, scholars and philosophers have gotten at this is to say that God does not author evil, but he does control how it works its way out. Right? And of course, in the book of Genesis, we see that with Joseph, right? where Joseph is, is, is experiencing all of this familial evil as his brothers are selling him into slavery and they're wronging him in all kinds of ways. Six ways to Sunday, he's being wronged. And then he finally has the upper hand. He comes, he raises up through Pharaoh's administration. You know, he's the, one of the most powerful people on the earth. And they come before him on their faces before him. And he is able to do and to say anything he wants to to them. He can pay them back in absolute full but he doesn't, and he utters these words. He says, you know, what you did, you meant for evil. You intended for evil, but God meant it for good. And that is the Christian paradox. That is a Christian mystery, that, that God is in control of how the evil from others works its way out in your life, right? And he does so for good. So there is real evil in our lives, you know, and some folks would say, well, we don't think that God is in control of evil because he can't be controlled. He's not the author. Well, friends, if God is not in control, then you should ignore everything that I'm saying. It's absolutely pointless to pray to him because you're like, God, would you please save me? Would you please redeem this situation? Would you please restore the years the locusts have eaten? And God's like, sorry, you know, I'd love to. That'd be great. But I'm, I'm just, I just have no ability to do that. I gave up that ability. Right? If that's true, then what in the world is the point of prayer? But the scripture maintains in these two hands, it says, you know, God is absolutely in control. Right? He's control of the things that come into our lives, but he is not the author of evil. He is the redeemer of evil. He redeems the years the locusts have eaten. And that is why Moses prays these words. He says, God... Would you redeem, would you redeem our lives? Would you make us glad for all of the years that we have seen evil? And friends, I'll tell you that I know of no other posture to take when you're in this time and place and circumstance, but to pray boldly, right? If, you, if you've had a year of adrenaline like I've had, right? Your adrenal glands are kind of like broken now <laughs> because they've worked too much. If you've had loss, Right? If, if you've had grief, the only place to go with that is to go before God and to say, would you restore the years the locusts have eaten? Would you pay them back 100-fold? Friends, that is in the character of God, and that's why Moses is so bold to pray this. He says, make us glad for as many years as we have seen evil. And I would love it if you would pray that this year. Right? If you've had a season like that, I would love it if you would pray, Lord, restore what has been taken. Lord, repay what has been stolen. Lord, would you make us glad for all of the years of grief that we've had? Right? And then Moses goes on to conclude his remarks saying, uh, this is you know, one of my favorite parts. He says in verse 16, let your work be shown to your servants and your glorious power to their children. 
Let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us and establish the work of our hands. Yes, establish the work of our hands. See, what Moses is doing in the end of that prayer is he's reflecting on the brevity of life. He's reflecting on our sin. He's reflecting on God's power. And he says, not only can he pray that God would restore the years that have been consumed by evil. Not only will he do that in the age to come, I believe he will. I believe all of you that have lost things, all of you that have grieved things, will experience a repayment in the age to come. But he says God's activity will break in even to this age where you can have a a reversal of this curse of brevity in your work, right? Establish the work of our hands upon us. You hear Moses just warring against the brevity, saying, God, if you will enter in, we can taste, we can taste eternity even today uh, as we seek to be about the business of eternity. And I've, I've largely understood this to be um, that God gives us the ability to do work that impacts eternity, and therefore that work lasts. And so uh, that is where it ends. It ends with you saying, God, as, you, as we seek your healing, as we seek your restoration, we also seek your activity and your work this year in 2022 in evil days right now in our lives. So friends, if you take nothing else away from my sermon, I hope that you'll try praying this year. And I hope that God will meet you in your prayers and bless you. Let me pray for you now. Father God, we do praise you. And Holy Spirit, we adore you. And I pray that you would teach us to pray. I pray, O God, that you would not simply teach us, but that you would meet us uh, in that place today. Lord, I pray for those here who might try praying for the first time or the first time in a long time. I pray that your power and your presence would be with them. I pray that you would give them an insight to the reality of this promise that you restore the years the locusts have eaten that you make glad the heart that has been grieved by evil. Would you do that? Would you give us stories of that? And would you equip us for all the the ways in which the year is ahead? Uh, Through Christ our Lord. Amen.